Hello, my name is Josiah Smith, and I'll be reading Matthew chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. Now, uh, you can follow along the Pew Bible, and that's page, I believe, 757, or you can follow along on the screen. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to, be, to, uh, to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when ye have found him bring, him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do ask now in this moment that you would give us understanding, give us insight into your word. Your word is precious. Your word is life-giving. And we want to understand it because in understanding it, we understand who you are. We know you more. And so may you be present here in this moment to teach us, to guide us, to convict us, to encourage us just to help us recognize the joy that Jesus does bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, January 6th is a very important date. At least in Italy, and not for the reason that you might be thinking of right now. Uh, if you don't know, January 6th is Epiphany. It is the date that is celebrated to commemorate the travel of, of the Magi or, or the wise men, as, as it's also translated, uh, in their visit to Jesus. Epiphany means appearance. It means manifestation. So uh, if, if you think about it in that way, it's like this is the first time that Jesus is appearing to Gentiles. He is being manifest to Gentiles. And so interestingly... The wise men are an important part of the city of Milan. And our, our first uh, years that we were there in Milan, 
uh, we were enrolled in a language school. And that language school had some extracurricular activities, if you will. And uh, one of those things that they offered for us were tours of the local sites to see uh, in the city. One such tour took us to this basilica that's kind of in the southern part of the city, uh, where the remains of the three wise men are kept. Kind of interesting, isn't it? I never expected that when uh, I found that out. Oh, huh, okay, that's interesting. Uh, the story goes that uh, Constantine, you know, way back in the 300s, donated the, the, uh, the remains of uh, these three wise men to the city of Milan. So they brought them uh, to the city, put, had them in this huge, giant uh, sarcophagus that uh, appropriately had engraved on it, on the lid, uh, a star with a big, long tail uh, there. Unfortunately, in the 1100s, uh, Barbarossa came down from Germany. Uh, I guess, I think... I kind of forget the history there a little bit, but anyway, he took the remains back to Germany, put them in Cologne, Germany, where we find them to this day. Um, it wasn't all the way until the, until the 1900s, like 1903, 1904, that Milan was able to get some of the remains back. I don't know what that means. I mean, <laughs> uh, is it a toe bone? Is it a femur? I'm not sure. Uh, didn't ask, but, uh, but so there are some pieces of the wise men back in Milan. <laughs> um, now, in, in the meantime, as they were waiting to get some of these remains back, a tradition had uh, started that uh, every year on January 6th, and this goes back 700 years, but every year on January 6th, uh, there's a, proce a procession where the, the wise men go from the cathedral in downtown Milan to this basilica that's just kind of a little bit on the, um, well, what was then the outskirts of Milan. It's not the outskirts anymore, uh, where these remains are. And there, in front of this basilica, they have a live nativity, and so the wise men show up, they pay homage, and they offer their uh, gifts to uh, the baby Jesus. Well, we can leave for another day a discussion as to the, what the role of tradition should have in our lives as Christians, but at a bare minimum, we see that the story of the wise men is a remarkable story that raises a lot of questions. I mean, where did they come from? How many of them were there really? Did they have names? What exactly was the star that they saw? Was it a supernova? Was it the convergence of three planets coming together? Was it a constellation? Was it a miracle from God? The bottom line is that we just don't know the answers to all these questions. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't ask the questions. Ask the questions. Look for the response. That's fine. If we can find the answers to those questions, it would give us a, a depth of color to the story. It would add a little bit of uh, you know, things. But we must remember that those questions, at the end of the day, remain on the fringe. It's the fringe issues. What we need to focus on is what Matthew reveals to us in this passage. We need and must, it's imperative, to remain anchored to the text. So what does Matthew want us to learn from the story of the wise men? And I think there are at least two main things. First of all, the wise men help us identify who this baby is. 
We, we learn a little bit more the identity of this God-man that was born back in chapter 1. But secondly, the wise men show us the proper response to his identity. All right, so if we understand who he is, how do we respond to that? And as we explore these two points, I, I, I want us to see that in this journey, this is journey of the wise men, we see that the birth of Jesus brings a level of disruption to our lives. It's, it's a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, think about the times that you've been faced with a new reality that, could, that has changed the way that you've lived your life. Marriage. For those of you who have been married, understand there's just a fundamental change there. It changes the way that you live your life. A new job. If you've ever gotten a new job recently, understand it's just, there's just a fundamental change. It changes the way that you live your life. There is a disruption, if you will, Going from middle school to high school, those of you who have maybe done that recently, there's just a slight disruption. A new reality in our lives brings disruption. But what do we do when we are introduced to Jesus? How do you respond to the disruption that Jesus brings? So ponder that in the back of your mind as we go on to consider how the wise men help us identify who Jesus is and what our response should be. So let's look at this first thing, this first point. The wise men help us identify who this baby is. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Now Jesus, or after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now we know from verse 1 that Jesus has been born. We don't know for sure how long ago he had, that he'd been born in this, when this birth takes place. Just that he's been born. And we know that he was born in Bethlehem. But surprisingly, the wise men go to Jerusalem. Why, Why Jerusalem? Well, we know that from their question, they were looking for the king of the Jews. So where else would you go but go to the capital of the Jews, go to Jerusalem? But what is important is that the wise men help us to identify Jesus as king of the Jews. And this aspect has already been alluded to back in the genealogy when we looked at that back in chapter 1. We know that Jesus is in the line of the greatest king that Israel had ever had, uh, King David. And so he is right in line, and he is the one who's going to come and to fulfill that great promise made to David that a descendant of yours is going to be on the throne forever. And this is going to be Jesus. That's what the story is bringing us to. Now, we see something else that's kind of interesting in these first couple of verses. And that's what led the wise men to Jerusalem in the first place. And we see it was a star. A star that they had seen. And this does give us a little bit of a clue of who these people were. We don't know much, but we do know that the Magi were respected people. It seems that they were somewhat of a mix between astronomers and and 
and priest, if you will. Uh, some have said that they were the scientists of their day, which perhaps maybe for us today is a little bit difficult to understand because for us, science and religion just don't go together. But in this day, it did. And so they studied the skies, taking note of the constellations, the planets, the stars, and whatnot. But they tried to interpret their positions through the lens of the holy writings that they had been exposed to. And so an interesting question will pop up at this, at this point, And that is, how did they come to the conclusion that the king of the Jews was born by seeing this star? And notice what they said. We have seen his star. We know that the Jews lived in exile for a while. You know, this is going back to the Old Testament. The Jews were exiled. They were scattered abroad. And we know also that there were communities of Jews that were just kind of left behind, even as Jews began to come back to the land, but they were left behind. And so it's very possible that these Jews and these, and these Jewish communities that were formed uh, maintained their Jewish traditions, maintained uh, their sacred writings, and they could have very easily shared it with people such as these wise men. And it's interesting also to think that one such prophecy that, they, that these magi could have known about comes from the oracle of Balaam back in Numbers chapter 24. And this is what Balaam says. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Hundreds of years prior to the birth of Jesus, and we're already talking about the star this scepter, this king that would be born in the line of Judah. So, with their interest in astronomy and their interest in religion, the Lord saw fit to reveal to them the birth of the Savior, the birth of the king of the Jews. Now, try to imagine the scene. Now, you are in Jerusalem when these visitors come to town, they're going around asking, where is the king that has been born? Now, it's reasonable to think that the wise men would have stood out a little bit. They would have been dressed a little different. Maybe there was an entourage uh, with them, spoke with an accent. Okay, now, all this is a little bit too painful for me personally, because anytime we were in Italy, wherever we were, people knew immediately. Just by looking at me, I was a foreigner. Maybe you've had that same experience when you've gone to maybe some village town up in the mountains or something, and you show up, and all the, all the locals are just like staring at you, wondering, who are you? What are you doing here? Well, these guys come in. They're going around asking where this baby is. Where is this newborn king? We've come to worship him. And instead of answering with, well, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. Or just simply dismissing these foreigners as just crazy Looney Tunes, we read that Herod and the people were troubled. Look in verse 3 again. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Why troubled? Why would you be troubled by these foreigners coming into your town asking where this king, the king of the Jews, was born? 
The word means shaken. There's just an element of fear almost, of, of, of unsettledness. They're, they are troubled. Well, for one, there was already a king, right? Matthew's already said twice that Herod is the king. Now, this in and of itself is not very troubling. Obviously, there was already a king uh, somewhere born, that, or at least a, a baby born, that was one day going, be, going to become king. There is presumably someone born already that's going to be the future lead pastor of Community Evangelical Church. Pastor Benjamin does not need to be troubled by that. All right? That in and of itself is not troubling. But what we know from history is that Herod was a paranoid king. Uh, in fact, he had already learned of some kind of plot that, that someone in his family had, had hatched to dethrone him. And so he had his wife killed. Apparently, it was his favorite wife. Um, and some of his kids just killed. Can't have it. And so he's getting rid. So, so Herod would have been greatly troubled at the news of these foreigners coming in and asking, where's this newborn king? We want to worship him. And of course, he and the religious leaders would have been troubled because they wanted to maintain their position of authority and power. I mean, Herod really wasn't the legitimate king anyway. I mean, he had just gotten to this position because of his political savvy with the Romans, and so they put him there. And so for there to be the legitimate king showing up would spell destruction for him and, and all his cronies that were around him. It would be a high price to pay for them. That would be quite disruptive for them. But why, why the people? Why, why were the people troubled? It makes sense that maybe Herod and the religious leaders would be troubled. Why the people? Well, for one reason, if you were a citizen of Jerusalem in that time, you didn't know how your king was going to react. I mean, you already knew he had some of his family killed. What is he going to do to you just simply by talking to these foreigners? I mean, certainly that could have been it. I mean, last, last Christmas, actually, uh, Amy and I were in uh, Jordan uh, visiting that country. And um, Christmas Eve, we're sitting around this campfire with a bunch of Jordanians and talking about different things. We actually talked about the wise men. We asked them if they knew the story of the wise men. They did not. Um, most people that we talked to in Jordan, when we asked if, about biblical things, had no, no clue. Um, but at any rate, the conversation changed to political uh, issues and in, in our governments. And we were discussing the differences between our governments. And at a certain point, one of the Jordanians said, that, that's enough. <laughs> we can't say anymore. When people talk about the government around here, they disappear. And he, he was shaken. He, he didn't want to say... And he didn't, they didn't say anything bad about the, the Jordanian government, just in case anybody's listening from the Jordanian government. They're, they're, they're okay. They didn't say anything bad about you. But we saw that, that fear that this, that this guy had in that moment. Hey, stop. So you can imagine the people of Jerusalem at that time, knowing that you have a paranoid king, knowing that these foreigners were coming in asking, where is the king What's going to happen? But no matter what, for Herod and all Jerusalem, the coming of the true king would have brought uncertainty. 
It would have brought uncertainty to the relationship that the Jews had with the Romans at the time. This, this would mean a fundamental change, a change to the status quo. Allegiances would have to be realigned. And that is disruptive. People don't like disruption. It's troubling. So the question before them is do they embrace this new king and the, dis- the disruption that it brings or try to preserve what they have and what they know? Jesus is the king of the Jews. And that's what we explicitly learn from the wise men in this story. But, but bear with me just for a few more minutes because that's not all that we learn about the identity of this baby born in Bethlehem. So we need, we need to look at one other thing. Look, look at verse 4. I'm talking about Herod here. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was born. Where the Christ was born. Now look back at verse 2. What was the question of the wise men? What did they ask? How is it different from what Herod is asking here in verse 4? The wise men ask, where is the king? Herod says, where is the Christ to be born? See, the Jews were expecting a kingly Messiah who would come and rescue them from from their oppressors. They would be brought together from where they had been scattered. They they would be brought back to their former glory under King David. And their kingdom would be established forever. The reason they had this expectation was because the prophets and, and really all of the Old Testament in general spoke of the coming of the Messiah. And there's lots of prophecies that we could point to. But we see right here in Matthew chapter 2 that the priests and the scribes point Herod to Micah chapter 5. And that's where we see that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Now this information makes the story a little bit puzzling. I mean, what on earth are a bunch of guys from the east doing searching for the Jewish Messiah? And we don't know exactly where they came from, but we do know they're not Jewish. So again, what on earth are a bunch of pagan Gentiles doing searching for the Messiah? Could Matthew's point be that Jesus, the Messiah, the King of the Jews, has come to save His people from their sin? And we know from Matthew and the Gospels His people is the whole earth. It's all those who will believe on Him. It's all those who will trust in Him for the forgiveness of their sins. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Come to me, all who who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Go and make disciples 
in all the nations. He's not only the king of the Jews, but he's the king of the whole earth. He is the king of the universe. Everyone owes their allegiance to King Jesus. Everyone. From the greatest of us to the least of us. We all owe our allegiance to him. In the book that we passed out last week, The Christmas Uncut, there's a little story of um, Queen Victoria, who was uh, Queen of England back in the 1800s. And she said that she was looking forward to meeting Jesus and, quote, so that I can cast my crown down before him. We all live under the rule of King Jesus. We all owe our allegiance to him. Now, after his meeting with the religious leaders, we read that Herod summons the wise men secretly, tells them what he found out, and sends them on their way to Bethlehem. Why didn't he go? Why, why, does it, why doesn't Herod go? Why don't the religious leaders of the day go? I mean, this is what they've been waiting for. This is what they've heard in all their teaching. There's coming this Messiah. And they missed it. He was born on their watch and they missed it. I mean, wouldn't you at least go and explore these claims? I mean, was it their desire to preserve their precious life? Was it a desire to hold on to their fake authority? Because we know that when you stand before the king of the universe, you realize real quickly who it is who holds all authority in the palm of his hands. Was it simply the busyness of life that drowned out their desire to go and see? Got kids to feed. Got a relationship with Rome to maintain. Got sick people to visit. Whatever the reason is, they missed it. I mean, can you imagine missing an event that you had just waited for for so long and you couldn't wait for that day to come and then you just miss it? Maybe a dream vacation that you planned a long time and you get there and something happens and you miss the plane and you can't go. The child waiting for Christmas morning to open up the presents. And I don't know, they fall asleep for 24 hours or something. I don't know, they, they missed it. Pretty disappointing. Pretty disappointing. And they missed it. The disruption was just too great for them to handle. They couldn't handle it. Well, the stage is set. We know the identity of this baby. He is the king of Jews, the long-awaited Messiah. And now we will see the proper response to the identity of this child from these wise men and not from the people that we should have learned it from because they just don't go. So as they're on their way to Bethlehem, they see the star that they had seen before. And we see it guiding them directly to the house where the child was. And then what do they do? What do they do? Look again with me at verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with, his, uh, with Mary, his mother, 
And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Their journey had reached its climax. The, The finish line was in sight. All they needed to do was cross over and go in. Now imagine with me for a moment what it must have been like for these wise men to take that journey. They see a star back in the country where they had come from. It reveals the birth of the king of the Jews. It seems that this star has perhaps faded away. So they they travel to Jerusalem. If a king was born to the Jews, it would be there. They ask around. No one seems to understand what they're talking about. Not only that, but everyone is shaken. They get an inside tip from the current king and the religious advisors, and they are sent down to Bethlehem with, let's say, their blessing. The star now reappears, making them exceedingly happy. They rejoiced with the exceedingly great joy, the text says. And they arrive safe and sound at the house. Then they go in. And the text says, they saw. They saw. What did they see? I mean, in your mind's eye, look around the house. It's an ordinary house. Ordinary common people. There's a carpenter. It's not royalty. What do you do? What do you do? Do you just turn around and say, Wow, I guess we, we messed this up. We messed it up. Sorry, Mary. Sorry, Joseph. We got the wrong house. Now, what, what they saw was not the ordinariness of it all. What they saw was the child with his mother. They saw Jesus. They saw Jesus. Do we see him? Do we see him? And when they saw Jesus, they fell down. I mean, what else do you do in the presence of the king of the universe? The president walks into a room full of soldiers. They stand up in attention. The judge walks into the courtroom. They stand up in attention. The king of kings walks in. You fall down. That's real authority. They didn't just fall down. They worshipped. I mean, this in and of itself is a miracle. Pagan Gentiles come from somewhere in the east, have limited knowledge of this child that has been born. There's really no reason to worship this child. I mean, why this child? He hasn't taught anything. He hasn't done any kind of miraculous sign. He hasn't cast out any demons. He hasn't healed the blind. He hasn't opened the, 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 the ears of the deaf. He hasn't done anything. We don't even know if he's crawling at this point. Why, why worship him? But they do. They fall down and they worship. They adore him. 
they bow before the King of Kings in humble submission. And then they offered their gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now lots of Lots has been made about these gifts through the years. I mean, it's said that gold reckons, uh, um, is a gift for a king. Frankincense is a gift for the priest. Uh, myrrh is, is a gift for the preparation of the, the day that he dies and is buried. But nothing is ever said about these gifts by the New Testament writers to give us the indication of, of, of their significance. But at the very least, these precious and costly gifts could have been used to finance the family's flight to Egypt that they were about to embark on. Talk about the providence of God. But no matter what we think of these gifts, offering to the King of Kings all that we have is in, in and of itself an act of worship. It is recognition that you are greater than me. I owe you Everything. All I have is yours. The wise men fulfilled the purpose of their journey. They worshipped. They came to worship the one born of the king of Jews, and they did it. Sounds easy enough, but the birth of Jesus is pretty disruptive. We saw it in how Herod and the religious leaders respond to the inquiry of the wise men. Where, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For them, it was a difficult disruption. Very difficult. To accept this king would radically alter their lives in ways that they were just not willing to embrace. And, as the, resu and the result is that they totally missed it. They totally missed the greatest fulfillment of prophecy that had ever happened in their lifetime. But we see the disruption also in the wise men themselves. I mean, they left everything. They've traveled great distances. They've sought with some difficulty where Jesus was. And when they arrived, they offered to him their gifts. They bowed their knee and worshiped to him. But their disruption, we could say, was not a difficult disruption as much as it was a pleasant disruption, a willing disruption. The God-man is none other than Jesus, the King of the Jews, the long-awaited Messiah. He deserves our worship. What disruption might that bring for us? For some of us, it could be a difficult disruption. Perhaps you have rejected Jesus in the past or, or have just been living your life in a very indifferent way towards Jesus. But like the wise men, now that you see who he is, won't you fall down and worship him and offer him your life? It is difficult and disruptive, but ultimately you will find yourself in a better place. At peace with God who sent his son to the world to save us from our sins. Or maybe you have just let the busyness of life just drown out your worship of Jesus. You're, you're missing the joy of offering yourself on a daily basis to King Jesus. How do you need to reorient your life to, to not miss the opportunity, opportunities that you have to worship Him? Maybe you just need to slow down 
Counsel, count, get rid of some of those appointments that you have on, on your calendar. Reread the Christmas story that we find in the Gospels slowly. Maybe listen to some of these Christmas carols that we've been singing here. Just, and go over the words because they, they, they resound with truth. It, it's, it's a bit disruptive, but it is a good disruption. The disruption that Jesus brings is a joyous disruption, peaceful disruption, a victorious disruption. Look and see Jesus, the King of kings, the Messiah, and fall down Worship Him, offering everything you have to Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank You for this story that has been recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew, these wise men. There is a lot of mystery around them that surrounds this story. But Lord, we see you for who you are. You are the king. You are the Messiah. You are the one that brings true joy to this world. So we want to rejoice in you. We ask that as we continue to move forward in this Christmas season, that you would just give us that ability just to slow down to reflect on you, to reflect on our relationship with you and to worship you. To worship you on a daily basis, every moment of the day, offering everything that we have to you. In Jesus' name, amen.